Hello and welcome to the Crate and Crowbar, uh, a podcast that's about PC gaming mostly. It's episode 366 and the date is the 22nd of April and the year is 2021. My name is Tom Senior. I'm joined today by um, Marsh Day This. Hello. And Alex Watcher. Hello. And welcome to the No News Zone section of the No <laughs> News. Is there any news you want to talk about <laughs> at all? There is something I wanted to say. Ooh. I wanted to say... Some news. Skin Say deep. It. Skin deep. Skin deep. Oh, yeah, yeah, Skin yeah. deep. Brendan Chung's uh, game, which you've been working on for hmm, quite a while now, actually. Probably three years, four years. Um, he showed a, a, um, a, a trailer of it in the week. Um, I mean, it's, it's Annapurna, isn't it? Is that... That's a... Yeah, they the, picked it up. I don't yeah, think it was always um, slated to be an Annapurna published thing, but that's I think that's what's accompanied the the new trailer is yeah, the announcement being doing. published by them. And I mean, he's been showing the game off, you know, pretty much continually as he's been developing it. I think every week he does a um, uh, a kind of um, streams development. So, kind of, I don't think there's any surprises in it other than just the delight of. Of a Brendan Chung production, with all of the little editing touches that he he does, um, so and kind of just the way he uses UI and stuff. So it's just been lovely just to see this really short little kind of segment of of a game that I'm really excited about because I just love all of his games for you know their invention and wit and 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 and, yeah. and that. And he's also got a crew of cats on a spaceship. And one of them is called Mr. Tumbles or something like that. And that's nice. <laughs> so the, so the, the, the pitch is like Die Hard in Space, from what I understand. Mm. But is it is it um, like a, a fairly systemic, free-formy stealth thing uh, where you, you're sneaking through vents and sneezing and, and setting off like chain reactions? Because uh, it seems to simulate some stuff like having feet cuts on broken glass and things like this um but but or is it going along the more sort of like cinematic linear direction of um 30 flights of loving for example yeah. which was like a short form incredibly uh, nicely edited spy thriller basically yeah so there's, there's always been there's a tension in quadrilateral carbon between those two influences i felt because uh, that was actually it said to be like it's quite a systems game in a way like it did ultimately boil down to use X tool on Y, but it felt more like it, it, it looked like this game is going to be closer to quadrilateral than it's going to be to 30 flights, I think. But that's okay. purely based on what it looks like. Um, I have no greater insights beyond the trailer and what I've seen of it so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, having having sort of put it said in the preamble that we've, we've seen the game in quite a lot of the game because he's been streaming it, I also have no idea. <laughs> Brilliant. There you go. We're good at this, aren't we? I'm a game journalist. <laughs> <laughs> I never got into um, Quadrilateral Cowboy. I, I have to say it was in that spate of uh, indie games desperate to tell you that coding was fun. Uh, and mm. I'm afraid I remain totally unconvinced uh, that it is even remotely fun. I, I kind of resent the games that have tried to get me to learn coding. Um, <laughs> so I didn't get into that. But I do, I really love all of uh, Brendan Chung's other, other output. I think they're, they're fabulous games. So I'm excited about that. I love like the the systemic stealthy stuff. Sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, I think the I think the quadrilateral was very. It was more systemic than it was about um, uh, coding. It is you know, in the same way that that systemic games are 
the product of things working together and and you you become part of that equation and and balance the two sides in the way that that will solve it in the way that you need to i think um that's the sort of that's the its take on on a coding thing i think that the coding thing was more of a, an aesthetic than, it, than an actual part of gameplay i think yeah i suppose there were there were a few bits of actually but yeah it was more about trouble uh, problem solving really yeah, it was about uh, in its best levels. It's, it sort of veered veered off about two thirds of the way through. Did some other weird stuff, but um, the actual sort of coding stuff was more about creating the perfect heist, perfect twenty seconds of heist, where as you move through the environment, you've coded everything to turn off at precisely the right amount of time, so the laser grid goes down just as you're falling through it, and then reactivates, and then you know you've got 10 seconds to unlock a safe before you can get back out through a door that you've also programmed to unlock 20 seconds later. And when everything kind of comes together, you get that kind of uh, Mission Impossible feel. And uh, that combined with that lovely Blendo aesthetic and sort of sense of humor and uh, just a kind of weird, it's just really anachronistic, I think, like the idea that you can sort of take out a hacking deck, but also when you go back to your lab, it's just full of old, dusty old books and bits of, old hard drives and stuff it's just he's just got such a great imagination yeah mm. i just i love the bit in the uh the skin deep um uh a trailer where the character goes up to this great bulbous kind of roboty thing and then comes in behind it and it's a it's a mech that you get inside and it's just sort of it hits all of the mech pilot notes yes. yeah but with this very blendo very brendan kind of um delight in the ridiculousness of such a thing of such an act kind of holding these two sort of joysticks thing and kind of with all the different bits of the screen kind of coming, coming online in different angles which is yeah. timeful so it's like literally every, every mech game you've ever seen is yeah. just uh, <laughs> but that, that's what i love about like it's just fascination for the kind of like the little sort of tiny details of games some of which are kind of weird and janky and some of which just are parts of games but which just were never really questioned and now they're just what we assume and they're therefore invisible invisible to us mm. he's really good at pointing them out and going yeah look at that that's crazy if you think <laughs> about it look really, what, it? <laughs> what are we all doing but it's good <laughs> isn't it yeah good yeah i feel those, proud those games always make me smile um <laughs> i might go back and play 30 flights for the 10th time <laughs> lovely is there any other news that is all the news. I've used up all my excitement for news by being excited about a game that I don't know much about. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so with that in mind, uh, I wonder what you've been playing, Alex. Me? Are, mm. I've been playing two things quite a lot. Uh, I'll talk about I'll talk about the, the, the newer one first. Um, so uh, on um, April Fool's Day... Um, a small, very small team of kind of enthusiasts released um, Prime 2D, which is a, a 2D sort of vis- vision of um, a Metroid Prime game. Um, so uh, uh, that's the kind of totally fan-made and therefore liable to be shut down by um, by Nintendo <laughs> any any second. I believe it. It is still up, remarkably. Given that it uses, if not the actual kind of um, samples from Metroid Prime, which is the uh, GameCube GameCube era series of Metroid 3D Metroid games, these first-person games, which I love dearly, but um, yeah. um, this is a 2D version of it, um, uh, which takes 
very much the feel of those games uh, and translates them to the 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 old you know the the where Metroid came from, which I think and I think it's incredibly successful about it. Um, so in Metroid fashion, um, it opens with um, you coming down in your ship into onto an alien planet, which is with trees and, and pools of water and those sorts of things, all in two D, uh, pixelated. Um, and, um, and you come, uh, sort of zoom out of the, you know, rise out to the top of the ship in, in the way that you have done over years and years and many, many games. Um, uh, and then you're controlling, uh, Samus, the main character, uh, with, uh, W-A-S-A-D, W-A-S-D, yeah, W-A-S-D, um, and then you're aiming with the mouse, um, which is a really good control scheme for uh, Metroid Prime because uh, Metroid Prime's kind of thing is uh, is this sort of um, uh, it, is that it's first person and therefore you look and interact you look at, you interact with the things you look at um, in that game. There's lots of scanning, so uh, you're exploring the environments as much as you're just shooting all the monsters, which um, constantly respawn. Um, uh, finding details, you know, discovering the story through fundamentally kind of little kind of note, notes that you found in the environment but it's 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 a really sort of cool game for that for me because you're you know the, the environments are detailed and and kind of you know there are ruins and weird artifacts but there are also uh, bodies of these sort of spacefaring space pirates, I think they're called, um, kind of lying around who have subsequently come to the planet and you are uncovering their story as you're exploring the areas. Um, so scanning and finding out their stories through scanning is part of that. And in this one, you're pointing at the with the mouse to, to things, but also using that very same interface to shoot at stuff. So um, it works precisely the same in the same sort of way as the as the first person original game does. Um, and therefore, you know, with all the sound effects in there, it just feels very, very uh, authentic, really. Um, the It's very short demo. Um, I finished in like half an hour or less. Um, but there are some really lovely effects in it. I understand that the um, that the engine was actually made by, if not a member of the four or five people who made it, but one of their kind of group. Um, so it's like a so it's a home built engine called the Net Mission engine. Um, the download is minute as well. Um, everything sort of flows and moves really smoothly, and uh, it um, has these really nice effects where, um, in in classic sort of um, Metro Prime fashion. At one point, you discovered this um, area where there's obviously some sort of shrine for the for the people who built all the artifacts that you you find in this area, um, with all these statues, and you're walking through, and 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 uh, as you walk past, it's got this amazing sort of almost three D look to it. It's really strange. Um, I don't know how it's made it because I'm pretty sure that every asset is fully 2D. It's a mixture of parallax and some other stuff. I, I don't know. It's really effective though. Um, uh, and that combined with the fact that, you know, you can jump around and climb up on things and, you know, it, it has that same sense of agility that, um, that, that even with, uh, you know, the, it's the start of the game. So you're not very powered up yet. Um, with that agility, it just pairs very well with it. Um, it's, it just, it's just good. And I really recommend anyone to grab it. Yeah, it's called Prime Two D. Uh, before Nintendo inevitably closes it down. Yeah, remind me to do that in the break. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I download I've got it before it goes. <laughs> so, what, do, have they have they um, 
This is probably a stupid question, but have they said why they've done this? <laughs> I was going to well, ask the same thing. They're longer. I mean, they, they. It came out of to somebody. It's been going since I think 2017, um, uh, and I think that they just love Metroid Prime. Mm. And someone idly said, "Hey, let's make a 2D version of it," and that's where it came from. They say that they're entirely ready to be closed down and to actually then switch all of the assets to. Mm fresh ones so the game can continue in the form that it is but with a new story new graphics new you know whatever huh. um so actually they're you know so they're not they quite a, a marketing stunt in a way <laughs> yeah it's not a bad one yeah yeah <laughs> Interesting. yeah so i'm actually quite sort of hopeful but they they do warn very very clearly that um you know that it's taken them three years to get to this point no hang on 2017 four years to get to this point um so don't hold your breath for any main game but they're being realistic about you know in fact you know the fact they're realistic about um nintendo's property and also realistic about how long it makes takes to make stuff actually fills me with quite a lot of um, hope that, that something does come of this. Yeah, well, I mean, if nothing else, it's a great demonstration of their skills and I'm sure they could use it as a as a pitch to publishers. Definitely, definitely, yeah. It sounds like it doesn't lose any of the atmosphere of the first-person games. And one of the things I remember very keenly about the first-person 3D Metroid games was that it was, made you very aware that you were inside this claustrophobic helmet all the time and the the way the heads up display worked and there was also kind of like grapple hooking around and hitting weak spots with your cannon um and is, is anything at all lost by the shift to 2d yeah that's a really interesting point actually i mean yes like clearly you're, you're not in the body um the ui like the, the head ups display is kind of um is is has the same fundamental idea to it um in the sense that sort of it's this sort of wraparound feel to it and you know showing icons in that same way but like mm. it, it's not trying to say you know you're in a helmet looking at a view of yourself running from left to right um uh, and therefore it doesn't have that immediacy um there is a boss fight at the end which is very much about hitting the right bit of it um uh but i wouldn't say it has the same quite the same puzzle solving feel that um metroid prime pure has you know mm. where you're kind of locking on to stuff and making very sort of specific decisions about what you're shooting at with the with the assurance with the lock-on system that that you'll hit that thing you know with the right timing and whatever like it doesn't have that sort of um mm. intentionality to it it's much more of a a 2d platformer you know it's a platformer game you know and mm. i think that's necessary for for that change in perspective so therefore it feels in that sense much more like the original games but it has the sound the same attention to sound effect and you know and and just the sense of being in a world um that the originals have with the necessary uh sense that it's more um you know, in the way that platformers that platforms have to be the exact height to know for you to know that you can jump and hit it and get up to it and that your jump will reach that height. I think mm. that Metroid Prime, one of its great strengths is was that feeling of being in an organic world. Um and that, you know, that 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 you it wasn't all simply designed around the metrics of 
how far you could jump. There was much more of a sort of, sort of maybe you can try this and this is a natural space and, you know, uh, and they obviously it's lost that as well. Most ball physics as well in the 3D games. Oh, so yeah. such a fascinating move for Nintendo to make a first person shooter that actually kind of wasn't in the, in the traditional sense that, you know, it wasn't at all about like Twitch. It, it went out of its way to make it, as you say, a puzzle game rather than uh, a game that's about like immediately hitting weak points with, you know, Twitch headshots and stuff like that. Or, yeah. and even though your character is very mobile, uh, it's, it's within easily understood constraints. So like, the grappling hook, like it was very clear about what you could grapple onto yeah. where you, you'd end up. And it was really clear when you were rolling around as a ball, you know, it would like ping you down Sonic, like Sonic style, ping you down these shoots into different areas. I, I think it was just, those games were just so clever. Um, and I'm surprised they haven't received it like a switch remaster or something. Uh, though, uh, another one is in development, I think. They just showed a logo a year ago or something. Yeah, yeah, the yeah, eternally kind of hoped and waited, waited for game. Yeah, no, it's, um, I did. I played the. Um, I was halfway through the second uh, Retro Prime Two on because uh, it came out on Wii U. Uh, no, Wii. Uh, There's a because tr- on single disc as a trilogy set, which oh. I've kind of, which is like, well, if you have got a Wii U, it's totally playable still. And it still works really well, and it really works on the Wii with a Wii remote and all that stuff mm. as well. Oh, it's a good series, such it's a good series. series. Oh, and the platforming feels so good as well. That floaty jump, but it's not floaty. It's just gives you a sense of sh- assuredness um, jumping through three D space with a really limited view, and it somehow works. There's so much about that game. Oh, and just the way the way the view slightly looks downwards as you make a jump giving you an awareness of where your feet are going to hit. Like, there's so many tiny subtleties to it that make it so good. Oh, what a series. I guess the old design. Again, I love yeah. the, the upgrade sequences, you know, when you actually got a new thing, just seeing that armor slot on and sort of see your armor change color and yeah. shine your It's just, yeah, quality stuff. Ah, <laughs> uh, good. Uh, I, I did say at the start, start of this podcast, it's mostly about PC gaming. Um, so sometimes we just talk about Nintendo for a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah, so Marsh, what have you been playing? I've been playing two things, but I've been really playing with one of those things. And it's not a game. It's a tool. It's the MetaHuman creator that you guys talked a bit about last week, um, mm. which is a tool released by Epic, uh, which allows you to create just incredibly high fidelity human models. And they hate that comes with all these sort of existing models of very believable looking humans that you can sort of blend between and then you can shift Ooh, the parameters. I'm really excited. And I'm really excited about how disgusting that you could make a <laughs> creature. Well, this that. this is the nub of my issue with it, actually, Alex. <laughs> um, so, uh, so you can you can sort of shift the parameters and you can tweak the geometry, and what you end up with will be like this sort of reasonably believable digital maquette that comes fully rigged for animation. It can be exported to nearly any 3D format and then into any engine you like. Um, but now, right now, I would say it's actually more. I mean, this makes perfect sense if you think that of the business of it. But it makes it's more. What they've produced is more demonstrative of the very powerful pipeline that they have, um, which then produces these incredibly high fidelity digi humans. But it's actually quite patchy, I think, in the terms in terms of the like that the freedoms that it gives you within that to create uh, humans or particularly ugly humans. I would say <laughs> are sort of outside of its scope. Um, so everything you you create will be 
sort of sort of reasonably believable at first glance and uh, but it's, but it's also quite restrictive in the sense that you can't uh you just can't create the the full range of human faces that actually exist in reality so i think it's it's like it's a very functional tool for producing without any further thought sort of uh, believable people but if you're trying to use it as like a sculptural tool where you're trying to produce something that you already have in mind and uh, then it's actually not that good for that in fact, i'd say it's not as good as a lot of character creators of a even a previous generation which may have been like lower fidelity but they probably gave you like more choices um part of it's down that there's just a limited range of for example like hair options uh, which are all like these static wigs that you can't really manipulate after you've dropped them on on your model um so i, I imagine that will that will expand uh but there's actually no possibility for asymmetry uh yet mm. which is pretty it's like yeah. a, pretty essential to to making a human face feel immediately believable um it's a pain in the ass for art assets um because I think most people l like the fact that symmetry means you have to do half half as much work. Um, <laughs> um, but there's also like strange interdependencies between the nodes that you sort of tug around to change the the face's terrain. Um, I, I, I tried to create myself, actually, and it turns out I'm just too ugly for this tool to, to be able to create. <laughs> I'm just so woefully deformed that the digital realm is not ready for me. Um and it's I'd just like to point out that the, that isn't true. <laughs> you do you do have a normal amount of asymmetry. <laughs> well, but yeah, yeah, but I, I think it. I don't know if it's just all the starting points that they've used to generate these faces are of fairly beautiful people, um, mm. but like, but there's just weird stuff. Like you know, I try and pull up the bridge of my nose to give myself. Uh, that the the haughty um, hook nosed look that I'm I'm well known for, um, but but it was sort of just like average out that action with the other features around it. So I'd end up just like slightly expanding my nose rather than pulling up the bridge of my nose. I couldn't recreate my my weak slack jawed jawline or my pouchy face. Uh, I and and I don't know. I I guess this stuff will just continue to be developed, and it's. Uh, and, and like it is astounding, like the ability to kind of play with these pre-created models and have something that's fully animated from the off is, is incredible. But I'm kind of slightly surprised that the big unveiling didn't allow you to like create somebody with a big nose. Like Adrian Brody is right out. There's no, you could not create an Adam Driver with this. <laughs> like, and absolutely no Owen, Owen Wilson. No, exactly. <laughs> and I, I can see like they wouldn't want people just yoinking these faces out like they're made of plasticine because that would be a bad advert for them, and it'd probably break the like the rigging that they've they've got. But you know, I don't think your Brodies or your Drivers or your Wilsons are like that extreme facial forms that they should be beyond the realm of possibility. Yeah, they do all right. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but for me, it's not quite what I want because I wanted to use it as an art tool where I could, I could, you know, sculpt faces from something that existed already, but essentially sculpt them to something I had in my head. Uh, but it, it seems better, like it's more designed for you to semi-accidentally generate plausible but very cinematic pretty boys. Um, and you know, it seems quite difficult to do a lot more than that. Um, yeah. So maybe, maybe it's a good sort of blurry, out of focus in the background NPC face generator. 
Yeah. Yeah. Although, although actually, sorry, I, there's one part of the tour which actually really diverges from this, and that's the teeth. Um, whereas, <laughs> unlike everything else, you have the most amazing powers to create some of the worst, most horrendous teeth imaginable. And again, the, the, the controls, the, the, the tools are like somewhat out of your control. Like you can't individually determine which teeth are larger than others, but you can sort of like tweak these generalized sliders to misalign them or when, wear them down to these horrid little stubs or just simply kind of overcrowd <laughs> the mouth until it looks like a, like a, a really disused graveyard. Uh, or, or you can draw back the gums horrifically and add loads of plaque. Uh, anyway, it's, it's, it's fantastic. Some fun, I've, I've created a large number of incredibly beautiful people who then smile and make you want to be sick. <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah, that's what I've been doing. I've also been playing something, but I will save that for later. What have you been playing, Tom? Uh, I've been playing Diablo uh, 2, which is being remastered uh, for release later this year, I believe. And uh, there was an alpha test, which I participated in. I also played an awful lot of it when it was originally released um, with my friends on the 56k modems that worked only about 40% of the time. <laughs> uh, and it's just interesting to go back to uh, a game that spawned uh, a genre of games. I can't, think of a, I can't think of another genre where everything that has followed its genesis has been so similar to the original thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In which, like, there's been so little exper experimentation with uh, the action RPG form formula, uh, and you know the ones that really stand out are celebrated stuff like um, Titan Quest is good because you can dual class. Um, I remember when then... uh, oh, which what game is it that uh, that introduced cats and dogs that would would take your loot back for you? Torchlight. Torchlight. Uh, I remember that being oh, yeah. such a big feature. Like, like whoa, <laughs> like, what? <laughs> You've got a cat <laughs> and it can carry your fucking junk back for you. And it'll sell it and re return, you know, I don't know if it skimmed a bit off the top for itself. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's, so going back to Diablo 2 is a little bit sad, really, which was, I, I was expected to be completely, utterly sucked into it and consumed by it uh, as I was originally. And as I often am by action RPGs, I've played loads of Diablo 3, for example. Um but you forget how boring it is to play a melee character in that game. Because <laughs> uh, you, you don't get many interesting skills as a melee character until like level six, which is probably about, I don't know, you could probably get there in 40, 45 minutes. Uh, probably less if you know, if you know where, where you're going. Um, and then the barbarian gets his leap and that's quite fun. But apart from that, you you really are just clicking on things. <laughs> um, and then watching them fall over, uh, but not in a, but with no like physics to it that you've come to expect from like a modern action rpg where in double three if you hit something get a critical hit it just like explodes all over the corridor corridor uh and there's a big satisfying noise and um the just the whole game engine is better able to sell the impact of the blows that you're swinging uh, and also double three does a lot to make melee classes more interesting teleportation attacks and that kind of stuff um but i was playing with the like the amazon and she starts out with a, a javelin, and um, the the animation of her hitting something with a javelin is is so crap. <laughs> it's so bad. <laughs> it's literally just like it, it just uh, holding. She holds it over her right shoulder, and she just pokes little poke, 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 poke. Um, and you know you, you might lots of gems that make it poke, 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 poke a bit faster. 
Um, and if you right click, you throw the javelin. Um, and because of the way the kind of two two D uh, sprites work, the javelin will appear to miss, but actually hit. And then sometimes hit, but actually because of the dice roll, actually miss and not do any damage. And um, mm. you just like uh, even though the the graphical upgrades they've done are, I mean, I don't think they could have done a, a better job of what they intended to do with it. To be honest, uh, when you you can press a button for it, switch it back to its original graphics mode, and everything is just exactly in the right place, exactly in the same place. All the hit you can tell all the hitboxes are identical. They've kept everything in the game, um, including stuff like the stamina bar, which actually spreads spreads around, which lots of players hate. They've just they've just kept everything in, uh, and is is simply because if I think the logic is essentially if we don't change anything, they can't criticize us <laughs> because <laughs> uh, this is this venerable object that uh, has become is a really formative part of lots of people's uh, gaming experiences, myself included. Um, but I, I'm, yeah, I've just, I've, I've realized after playing a load of it to do some sort of beginner's class guides for PC Gamer that I'm not going to, I'm not going to buy it. Um, and I never thought I'd say that. <laughs> so, uh, it's like um, mm. even the Sorceress, uh, who is just such a fantastically fun class to play in Diablo 3, because um, you get all the lasers and fireballs uh, that, that you could dream of within it, like the first sort of 40 minutes, and then it just escalates from there. Um, but she can't take a hit. And until you get to level 6 and you you get frost nova which is essentially like an area of effect attack that slows everyone down um and then you get there and you, know, you just spam that all the time until you hit level 10 and then it's like oh man there's so much that's just kind of sluggish about this that obviously at the time it was revolutionary in the scale at the scope of it and the way that you could move from world to world and each world looked completely different had was full of completely different enemies um was really exciting in, all, in a way that we just expect from games now <laughs> so with all that gone um, yeah, I find it quite underwhelming. Hmm. Uh, I will say that the itemization system is very nicely tuned in terms of it will happily just drop you your yellow item in the first 20 minutes if you're lucky. And that and that can just speed up the game about five times until you hit like level 10 just because it'll, I, I just I was playing as a paladin and a ridiculous dagger dropped. Um, and that has like a ridiculous, it's the same as the javelin poke, poke animation actually, but it makes much more sense than the knife. Um, and uh, it, it sort of like just pokes, you know, 20 times uh, a minute and skeletons and fallen shame and just sort of fall collapse in front of it as, as you just sort of mow your way around dungeons effortlessly. Um, and it sort of reminded me of a lot of RPGs that have been re-released that have fast forward modes. And in fact, one of the, the best mods for Diablo 2 was, I think it's called Median XL, um, but I'll double check that. Uh, essentially, did just, just quadruple the speed of the game and make everything twice as ridiculous and twice as fast. And I think at that speed, it's, it's, pro- it's more fun. So I think I have a feeling it's going to be something for purists only, actually. I don't think it's going to, I don't think it's a great advert for Diablo 4, <laughs> which is, I think, is what they hope it will be. Because so, uh, mm. I think Diablo 4 will come out in a few years' time. Uh, so, uh, so they're not going to release these close together because one might can't cannibalize the other. But I think people playing Diablo 2 might sort of be put off. Oh, wow. And mm. uh, I wonder if, like, if there's, given that Diablo 4 is kind of going back to a lot of the kind of grim aesthetic of the second game and promises in some ways to be, you know, a lot, a lot like that, 
lot like Diablo 2. Um, I wonder if new players, if it will struggle to attract new players. Um, however, I think like six or seven million people play Diablo 3, so I'm sure it'll get its audience. Uh, but yeah, I was just surprised by it, to be honest. Um, yeah, and I, I look forward to seeing what other action RPG fans think about it when it eventually releases. Is it tied up in that? Is it a completely uh, untampered with release other than the graphical upgrade? Or uh, does it s- s- try and tie it into a, a marketplace for the items that, or anything like that? No, it's completely the same. Uh, it's, it, all the math, maths and all of the itemization, the item drops and uh, the way items work and the leveling work and all the skills, all of the maths is the same as the original game. They haven't changed any mm. of it. Mm. Um, uh, so it, it, it's truly they're just it's just the graphical upgrade that you're looking at, which is very nicely done. Um, could have changed that javelin animation though. <laughs> <laughs> I um I went I did I played Diablo two for the first time maybe a couple of years ago. I found it unexpectedly brutally hard. It can be, yeah, yeah. You know, like, yeah. I guess it's all about the build you have and, and what drops but, as well. Uh, yeah. it, basically, you're super vulnerable until level six for a lot of the character classes, and some of the character classes just aren't particularly good, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> um, especially at higher difficulty levels. So the the druid, for example, is really fun and seems like the, one of the most fun characters because you can transform them into a werewolf immediately. That's the first skill you can get if you want. I think I was. Um, a, I think I was a druid. Yeah. Yeah, and then you can transfer. You know, you can get further down the skill tree and become a bear if you want to be. Um, then it's also got an elemental skill tree, but you, if you want elemental skills, play sorceress. And then it's got like a, a buff skill tree. And in that case, just be a necromancer because high-level necromancer buff skills are amazing uh, and their sort of debuff skills are amazing. So I don't know. There's some um, there's there's some wonky balance in there, I think, that obviously won't be fixed because everything is the same. And there's stuff like the, the Assassin, which is another... The Druid and the Assassin are both expansion characters, I believe. So they're there for, to provide a bit of extra challenge for people who have already completed the game um, and are already very familiar with it. So if you pick those classes, you might be in for a difficult time. Really hard with the Sorceress because her kind of pew-pew spells take several hits to kill anything at the start and you really have to... So it can be a slog unless you get a really good staff or something. So yeah, it's, it's all it's all that it's a combination of RNG and class design and the way that it holds skills off until a bit too far, well further than I think a modern gamer would expect. Um, yeah. So yeah, did, so, did, it sounds a bit similar it? to um, the way that because uh, obviously the the remake for Warcraft three came out a couple of years ago. That was a bit of a rough mm. launch, wasn't it? But um, it sounds sort of it's in that area where it was, there was a lot of talk about it, but actually it wasn't that significant in the end. You know, you know, as a as a as a as a as a release for for Blizzard and you know its general ethos. Yeah, they actually um, they released the original version of Diablo two on Battle.net in the year 2000, I believe, because um, I bought it. So that's what I've been, I, I was using for a lot of the classes that weren't in the alpha to, you know, get skill information and stuff. Um, and like, I, I've, it's almost like it's vanished from the store. That I, I had to Google how to access my own game <laughs> that I bought <laughs> uh, to actually get into it. But I don't quite see, I don't, like, the original graphics do have a, so the, the original graphics are very characterful. 
And you can tell when you switch, you press F or G or something just to switch from the modern graphics to the old graphics. And the old graphics are just still full of personality. It's still, it's still like very atmospheric game. Um, and I think it validates the fact that there's just way too much plot in Diablo 3. It's like literally you just go up to a quest giver and then you can just click through their dialogue in a few seconds. And uh, you don't have to wait around for doors to open or anything. You just go <laughs> kill stuff. Um, so I hope if four can learn from that a bit. So yeah, it's uh, mm. a, a nostalgia, eh? But there's probably, there's probably a value in... I mean, we're seeing a, a kind of age of a lot of re-releases at the moment or, or kind of remakes of, of games of yesteryear. And I wonder if there is actually more value in, in just re-releasing something with perhaps a fairly superficial um, visual upgrade to it than there is in reappraising all of its parts even if those parts aren't very good just as sort of like a for the sake of record you know a lot of these mm-hmm. games of yesteryear are basically disappearing as as the the formats in which they were accessible also vanish um and maybe just just for the sake of posterity it's good to have these sort of refreshes that don't actually address any of the problems because those problems are part of the the historical record of those games yeah, there've been there've been some successful ones like I liked the Monkey Island remakes uh, they did, which obviously they did all the puzzles are the same and stuff, but they added hint systems, optional hint systems, uh, and they changed the art. But I think you could still see the you could yeah you could switch back well, into the old ones yeah, uh, which is lovely. Uh, so I, I I agree I agree actually it's a kind of way of preserving the history of gaming. There's there's definitely value to it, mm. and also or even if just patching stuff up to work on modern os um so stuff i think they released grim fandango that was just a good re-release you don't need to change that game very much the 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 bad puzzles are still going to be bad (laughs) there's no point going back and redesigning them Mm. uh but the world is amazing so you know uh, and and the voice acting and the music and the the aesthetic of the day of the dead aesthetic is um, is all still there and it's still wonderful and it is successfully preserved because of that one day everything will live in the cloud. <laughs> well, well, then nobody could make money off it if uh, if they weren't also re-releasing it fresh in some way. We, we, in fact, one of the pieces of news that we thought about talking about this week, but it was so vaporous as to not really warrant any discussion, is that the uh, Knights of the Old Republic is rumoured to uh, mm. be being remade by Aspire Media currently. Um, I don't have any strong feelings about that because I don't have any strong feelings about the original game. But I, I, I wonder whether the the best way to approach that is uh, is essentially a, a re-release of it rather than a remake. Well, it's kind of already happened. Like mm. uh, a couple of years ago, I was playing through Kotor on my iPad uh, quite happily because you know your touch controls work very perfectly well. Pause combat um, with all the same graphics, um, and it was fine it's it i i really enjoyed it as an rpg when i played it the first time through probably like 12 years ago or whatever hmm. um i don't see what a remake would do for it really because it's a it's a game with a lot of big corridors and i don't know what they're <laughs> really going to do to those corridors to <laughs> meaningfully upgrade them <laughs> fill them with metahumans that's what i need to do yeah yeah maybe that's <laughs> strangely it's sp- symmetrical it's aliens <laughs> It's the new speed tree. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, um, but they wouldn't Alex, be able. To, they wouldn't be able to put Adam Driver in it. So you know, as we've established, uh, he's right out. It's got. It's got to be in everything. That's true. <laughs> it's the new law of 
in New York. Uh, Alex, you mentioned you playing playing something else. Oh yeah, well you yeah. you want you want nostalgia. You want old yeah. games. It is. I've been playing an old game. I'm sorry, but it's uh, it's, I'm going to talk about a game I've been playing on my Mister again, which is um a kind of a retro gaming emulation platform uh, on which you can read a very long feature in the latest Edge magazine written by myself. But um, I just want to talk about um, a game that I've so, uh, called Mr. Do. I'm really tempted to call him Mr. Doe, but it's Mr. Do. D-O. Mr. D-O with an exclamation mark on the end, which is um, it's kind of a bit of obscure um, uh, uh, arcade game. It came out in 2000, uh, 1982. But uh, um, I've... I used to play it on my BBC um, like years ago. You know, when I was when I was a kid, I never played the original um, arcade uh, version um, until my Mister, um, and it was an opportunity to go back to it because it's such a weird but incredibly fun game. And it turned out that my wife used to play the BBC version at her school when she was a kid as well. So, and she remembered exactly how to play it, and so we've been uh, challenging each other on um, the high school table for it. Um, but like. It's just this bananas um, uh, design, which really doesn't make any sense. That's why I wanted to talk about it because, because I just want to, to explore why on earth does this game work? So um, it's a game that looks like uh, Dig Dug in the sense that um, you're in this kind of dirt maze. So it, I mean, like it, it's kind of, I suppose it's sort of, uh, background would probably be Pac-Man in the way that you're in Pac-Man, you're, you're running around a maze. But in, in Dig Dug, you could uh, make the the maze um, tunnels yourself and the enemies will, by and large, uh, follow those tunnels, but they're able to tunnel themselves and you're going out to hunt them down and by filling them with air. Um, and when you've filled all of the uh, uh, monsters with air and exploded them, you've finished the level. That's Dig Dug. Um, Mr. Doe, uh, Mr. Do, uh, um, I understand was literally an attempt to, to kind of follow uh, Dig Dug's um, uh, success. Um, in this case, the the theming, the Dig Dug is weird, like you're underground and those are weird things you're filling with air. Mr. Do is downright bananas where you are a clown, you have a magic ball <laughs> that you can throw around the level uh, and you are being hunted by dinosaurs. Also, you're collecting fruit, uh, and there are apples as well that uh, the affected by gravity and will crush stuff. Um, uh, that's the basics of it. So there are several ways to finish a level. Um, you can finish a level if you uh, um, defeat all the enemies. Um, the enemies all emerge somewhat like Pac-Man from the middle of the screen. Um, they kind of just spawn one after the other from from this kind of central point. Um, you can so yeah, you can you can finish level by defeating all them. You can also finish the level by uh, eating all of the fruit, which are in these eight uh, so two by two, so eight in total, sort of groups around the screen. Um, one of the nice features about the game is that when you collect them, it starts to um, to play a note and which increases in uh, in pitch with every successive 
um, with a successive piece of fruit, as long as you collect them fast enough. So you've got to basically just do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And that uh, is just just automatically rewarding whenever you get that because it takes a little bit of skill because you can easily just overshoot the kind of the cell that you're fundamentally in so that you don't collect the next bit of fruit. So when you get that, um, and when you collect all eight in a single um, go, you get an extra 500 point score bonus. So that's just really nice as well. So all the fruit, all the monsters. Um, Also, sometimes, very rarely, when uh, when you smash an apple by by making it drop more than sort of two squares because it's fundamentally it's on a grid but you have free movement but it's basically everything's arrayed on on a grid uh when it falls more than two uh squares um you might be lucky and you might get a star drop and if you collect the star you will win um so there's there's that what you do like do you kill stuff do you get fruit who knows just 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 play um <laughs> then Sometimes a letter that's one of the letters of the word extra <laughs> appears from the top of the screen and wanders around. It can also be defeated. When you defeat it, it turns into some fruit, Who know, like an apple. Who knows why? I don't know. Um, when all of the monsters, I, I'm sorry, this, the, none of this is going to make any sense to you. I'm just trying to <laughs> illustrate that this game's design is just this complete hotpotch of ideas. Like it's just been bolted on to each other, none of which make any sense. So uh, once all the enemies have come out of the central spawn point, the spawn point turns to, uh, in turns into a, uh, what is it? It's a cake, I think it's a piece of cake. Um, you can eat the cake. It freezes all of the monsters on screen. Uh, if a letter was already out, out of the the uh, the, the the letter spawn three blue monsters, uh, which sort of go around the screen. The music changes, everything goes red. Like, but now you're being hunted by the letter and uh, the, these uh, extra blue monsters. Um, if you defeat the um, the letter at that point, and if the letter isn't out at that point, it just comes out at the top of the screen. The same thing happens. If you defeat the letter from that point, uh, you will. Um, um, uh, you, you'll go back to the normal mode. The, the kind of importance to that is that if you can defeat all of the letters that spell out extra, you'll finish the level and you'll get an extra life. I think those are all the rules. None of they don't make sense. But the fun, but the but, but you have this constant sense of what should I do? I know I can do this. And mm. you know most of the kind of a lot of the, the arcade games from that time really directed like there was one thing you should do and you know you should do that well you know pac-man is a very you know you know exactly what you're doing you're eating all of the dots and you can maximize your score by by very specifically going after the after the the ghosts um you know space invaders um asteroids all of these things are very directed this one absolutely bananas like you can do what you know <laughs> and it's very free form like the the way that the, the ai works for the monsters is they hunt you down. They will come after you and sometimes they'll run away. There's this real sense of sort of, you don't know what they're going to do. It's chaotic and you're always responding. Like I, I've seen people who are really good at it and you know they are playing in a very specific way. I'm sh- sure there are specific routes you could take with it. At my level, I'm just responding to an ever-evolving, strange situation. Oh, I could go for that last piece of fruit, and you know, or I could kill the last thing. You're bouncing this kind of magic ball around, and it's sort of um, hitting stuff at um, right angles, it's ninety-degree angles, and it's just bouncing around this maze that you've dug for yourself. Um, 
that's sort of another sense of chaos to this game where, and you know, you can't shoot it. You've only got one of these balls that you can have at one time. So once you've sent it off bouncing around and it's missed whatever you intended to hit and it's just aimlessly bouncing around uh, without doing anything useful, you haven't got anything else to uh, to shoot with. So, you know, if you're being chased, you don't have anything to, to deal with stuff with. And get more chaos. It's so good. It's just so fun. Um, it's so that free formness is is um odd for its time but it it for now it does seem uh like it feels really fresh um i've also been playing its super nintendo version it was released on super nintendo at some point um and in that version you can play this this faithful recreation of the original arcade game uh although the arcade game is is better still but it also has a bot battle mode and in that mode uh, you play two player. You're both playing on the map at the same time, and it is this cooperative, competitive thing where you're you're vying for score. Um, if you know, uh, you know, you can't hurt each other. But if you throw the ball, it's just oh, my wife is so incredibly annoying in this game. In this <laughs> case, the, the uh, you both you both have your magic balls, but. Um, only one of you can throw it at a time. So if if your opponent has thrown the ball, suddenly you can't throw your ball. <laughs> there's one ball. There's one you've you've instantiated the single ball it's of the universe, ball. the quantum ball, and um, uh, and uh, it will stun you if it hits you, um, and it will defeat enemies as it normally would. She just she's always stuns me at the start of every level, and she always just hogs the ball she hogs the mr do ball <laughs> and it's really annoying and she's really good at it and she's much better at it than i am um but like it's a really good it's a really good game for that because it has this sort of you know that that perfect kind of cooperative competitive feel to it where you do have to work together to survive because it, it does pump up the, the number of enemies and their speed and things so you are under pressure much earlier on in in the battle mode in the Super Nintendo version, but um, so you, you know you're together, and if you can work together, you can probably maximize a really big score. But at the same time, you can really screw over your opponent if you throw the ball at them and not the enemy, which you probably should do. And that's <laughs> that's just a good feel for a for a for a game like that. <laughs> Mister Do, it's fucking great. Never trust clowns or Never my wife <laughs> or clown wives. Yeah, don't <laughs> trust the clown wives. wife. As a December song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I ne- I've never heard of this, but I, I looked it up after you uh, after you talked about it the other day, and um, I'm a big fan of Dig Dug and Pac Man, and obviously this is a sort of blend of the two. But like you say, it's really clever that it it it's it's so freeform that it offers you not just lots of strategies by which to maximize your score, but also lots of ways in which you could just simply end that level and move on. Yeah. And it, you're right that there's there weren't that many games of that era which in which ending the level and maximizing your score weren't in some way more kind of connected. Whereas in this, it is very much like, a, you know, it's easy to play, but hard to master kind of game where you could you could progress through levels reasonably quickly if you didn't care about really maximizing score. And there were yeah, lots, of, lots yeah. of different ways in you do it. So you can actually chop and change your strategy. If something, if something looks less viable halfway through a level than you had previously hoped, then you can just change your strategy and, and exit that level by some other means. Yeah, and you're also thinking about loads of stuff. So the um, you know a really good way of getting a big score is to um, is to uh, get crush lots of enemies with falling apples. 
Um, and in the first level, so the levels are each, um, there's kind of like a nine levels and then it loops. And you know which level you're on because when you start the level, there's an existing tunnel um, that, that is the numeral for that level. So the one has this central uh, shaft running down the center and there's always an apple towards the top and you can push that apple or you can push stuff. It has this weird like early physics stuff. You can push the apple and it will fall and that happens to go past the spawn, spawn point. If you if you time it right, you can get these massive bonuses because you've pushed the apple onto the enemies. Like, you know, that's quite, yeah, that's quite apart from, you know, collecting all but one of the fruits and defeating all the enemies and going for the letter. Oh, it's just, it's a nice brain fizzy game where you go at the start, it's sort of like, what on earth am I meant to be doing? And then, you know, then you start seeing sort of possibilities and stuff. And mm. Yeah. I think there were a lot of kind of like second tier uh, games, which were released in the wake of a more kind of iconic game, but were yeah. actually themselves probably more interesting and you yeah. know, maybe maybe not doing anything that kind of intentional in the way that they mashed up ideas from other games, but still produce something more exciting than than the original in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't feel intentional at all. It feels like <laughs> a load of accidents. It feels like a bit of a bit of sort of hallucinogenic drugs were also taken during the video <laughs> as well, but couldn't possibly say. You say a lot. Of, you say that for a lot of games of the era. It was normally just sort of like animal plus uh, corporate sponsor uh, <laughs> plus Dig Dug in this case, it seems. Um, let's think about Zool and Chubba Chubs. Oh, God. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. Fond memories. Cool, uh, cool spot. Who can forget? Cool, cool yes, spot. Yeah. Cool spot. <laughs> yeah, cool spot. Oh, my God. Marge, save us from, from this nostalgia trap. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Take us to the future, Marsh. Very well. Um, I, well, you, you may regret coming to the future with me, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, cause the future is awful. I have to tell you, I mean, I, I've been, um, I'm sorry to say, I, I've been in like a bit of a gaming funk recently and I've, I, I'm not really had a lot of time. Uh, I've not been in a good headspace for games. So I sort of wanted to play things that I can slip into really easily, maybe in like short bursts. And I don't really want to learn anything. <laughs> Uh, like generally, <laughs> but also in this specific instance about games. Uh, so I don't want anything like with systemic. I don't want to play a card game where I actually have to think. Uh, I want something familiar that I know how to deal with. But everything I've tried, I've just sort of like got really furious with <laughs> and uninstalled after about <laughs> 20 minutes. And in general, I don't think I've been infuriated in a, in a, like an edifying podcastable way. <laughs> I've just been I've just been an asshole um about it but um <laughs> i did play uh and also got angry with and deleted uh genesis noir um mm. to which i say genesis notar as in <laughs> as in no thank you <laughs> right it's like no, good, no, no thanks to yeah anyway so it's a point and click game and um it has the trappings of the film noir genre uh, which are projected very stylishly onto a retelling of the birth of the universe. Um, so the Big Bang, for example, <laughs> deep sigh, <laughs> correct. Mm. Um, the, the Big Bang, for example, is uh, is a gunshot. What does a murder? Um, and you you appear to be the embodiment of time in some way, uh, mm. but obviously you are also like a, a look a bit like a hard bitten sleuth from a film noir, and you have a wide fedora. Not sure if it's a fedora. It could be, it could be a Homburg. Actually, um, it's hard to tell. Um, 
And it's hard to tell because the game has this really beautiful art style, this line art, which has these kind of rangy, elastic looking characters who are constructed out of these kind of uh, lovely, beautiful, simple shapes. Um, and that's why I was, I was really excited to play it because it's just this super gorgeous to look at and the animation in it is just a fucking masterclass. Um, unfortunately, its art style did instantly induce a migraine because um, it has mm. this slowly flickering grainy texture to the background. Uh, the position of like these this this grain changes not fast, like every maybe half a second to a second, which turns out to be way worse than it changing fast. And you can reduce the flickering because um, uh, it changes kind of like the, the 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 luminosity of it as well. And it says at the start of the game that this can induce seizures, which I fucking believe. Um, like, uh, <laughs> but, and you can turn it off, but you can't get rid of the sh- shifting grain texture for some reason. And that combined with the really high contrast black and white line art so the the lines are like this glowing white on a black background it's it's quite a strange look at i imagine it's much easier to take on a tv screen than a monitor but like yeah five minutes and my head was throbbing um but it does look amazing uh so you know i was willing to suffer for that but then uh every interaction it's just it's just really aggravating like uh what kind of what style of a game is it? What genre? It is a point and click, um, yeah. but it's it's sort of well. I mean, it's not a point and. It, it, I mean, it should really be an animation, and uh, because the uh, point and clicks can be arbitrary anyway. But when the, the story is kind of this abstract, it's really hard to set expectations for what what is interactive and how you're meant to advance what's going on on screen. And a lot of times you're just sort of clicking things and then wiggling your mouse and then an action you couldn't possibly have intuited would occur. Um, so it's it's like point and click, but you're just just trying to click and uh, randomly almost in order to get the animation to continue um, rather than you know combining X with X, that kind of point and click game. And so on, on sort of, but on top of that, sort of like just just what do you want me to do? Exasperation. The actual physicality of the interaction is is really poor on the mouse and keyboard. Uh, this, like there's this part super early on, after you've uh, witnessed this murder, which begins the universe, uh, and you end up in this uh, void-like space full of um, uh, light beams and dark energy beams, and you uh, need to throw down seeds uh, to absorb some of these beams, thus making the area traversable. Um, and the seeds thing, there's sort of like this little growth sequence that you need to encourage. And each each seed you plant has a sort of different interaction where you grow a different plant. I don't know what the plant is a metaphor for. But then you, this one where you need to sort of like cycle through day and night really rapidly by rotating uh, the, the sky. Um, but the interaction for that, even though you're sort of like rotating in a circular motion, you're, the interaction for that is to scrub back and forth, forward and back with your mouse really quickly and a long way. Mm. And it's really, I mean, it's like you might actually damage your mouse by doing it to the, 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 v- the vigorousness that is required. <laughs> and just like every interaction is pretty much that abstract and that make worky and awkward and unknowable. And like p- all pinned to this metaphor that I just quickly realized I wasn't going to wasn't going to carry me through like 
I mean, I mean, we, we you did the big sigh at the beginning when you heard, <laughs> but, and <laughs> I too am skeptical that film noir is the right language to talk about the birth of the universe. But I was willing to see how it connected those things up. Like if it was just an animation, you know, I, I would probably sit there and think that it was it was you know playful, if not like elucidating. But this the the cost for this was too high. It was too high. <laughs> And then I deleted it and had to lie down in a dark room for a few hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's a shame. The developers, what have they, are they, have they made other games? I was not familiar with them. I think they come from a, a variety of different media backgrounds. Um, hmm. uh, they are Feral Cat Den, I believe is the name of the studio. Um, okay. What is it about? I'm 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 left usually fairly cold by by noir as a thing. You know, it, I know that there are some great things that are written within it, but I only made within it. But I I am generally it's not something that ever attracts me as a as a as a story uh, genre. What? Why? What is its pull? Are you into this? Are you into noir? Yes. I mean, to a degree, I wouldn't say I was into it, but I have enjoyed a lot of noir things. Uh, I, you know, um, Chinatown is 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 one of my mm. favorite movies. Uh, I even watched uh, the Two Jakes recently, which is a sequel to Chinatown, um, mm. uh, which was actually also quite good. Directed by Jack Nicholson himself, supposedly. Um, oh lord, which was better than I expected. And um, I'm a big fan of like. A lot of the things that earnestly approach noir. I'm not a fan of things that spoof noir because I don't tend to think that's there's there's much that can be said about that. There's much in the spoofery which is interesting to me. Um, like you can ape this stuff, and it's very easy to ape, but uh, uh, and pastiche. But what does that what does that do? It just you're just you're just essentially echoing something rather than creating something new or or saying something about the original. But I, I like. Um, the the easy Rawlins books are, re, are I think are really good um, and I think they do do something by talking about the black experience at the time that a lot of the kind of um, or in, in at least in the manner of a lot of the the noir stories that hitherto had white uh, heroes and that that's interesting to me so there are mm. they're interesting it is an interesting time in America I think yeah to, to discuss I mean you you did um, a crime fiction course at the same university I did right Tom. I did. did you did, I did, did you get deep into the noir world? Um, I didn't. I didn't like particularly fixate on it. I, it didn't really capture me. Like I, because I'd already encountered all of the tropes and things yeah. that uh, was, were busy spoofing it. And actually, oddly, a lot of a lot of the stuff that appears, a lot of the kind of um, the hard world detective stuff that appears in uh, noir. Has ended up in stuff like Frank Miller's Sin City series and that right, kind of yeah. thing, and it's become sort of, sort of balloon animal versions of the original, <laughs> yeah. uh, original ideas behind the characters, and almost like a celebration of flawed, hard drinking detectives who uh, are bad for themselves and everyone around them. Um, 
Yeah, it's, uh, it's strange, isn't it? That has become, they've become so archetypal that there has been a sort of acceptance of them. And I don't think that was really the tone in which those original novels were written, like The Big Sleep, yeah. you know. Yeah, and so that's forth. interesting. I mean, yeah. those were flawed characters and they were written to be flawed and for the, for the reader to find them flawed and objectionable. And somehow they've just sort of schlubbed on into, into the cool... Yeah. Cool detective is yeah. basically what it's become. Yeah, the they've gone the through a pop, cult, pop culture fil- filter and come out the other end as being well, decadent, glamorous. Really? And yeah, yeah, quite. Uh, yeah, so I, I think it's a kind of genre that's been compromised. Though I do enjoy um, a lot of the stylistic qualities of film noir, um, uh, as shown in like the Third Man. I think it's just like it's, it's a beautiful thing to to watch. Even it, it doesn't like adhere to a lot of the kind of noir tropes mm. in the same way. Oh god, that um, soundtrack though! I know this is sacrilegious, but fucking hell, <laughs> the soundtrack to the Third Man is just f- fucking insane. It sounds like yeah. something like a, I don't know, it's a nineteen sixties porny comedy caper. <laughs> yeah, does it? I but can't it, remember. It, I haven't seen it for or, a long time. Orson Welles kind of like in the uh, the shadow of a doorway, and his face emerges, and he sort of goes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, uh, it's the it, zither one, right? Yeah, yeah it's the course. zither one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, uh, the, apparently, the origin story for that is that everybody is getting pissed up in a bar in in Vienna, uh, and this guy just in, like in a cabaret or something, and this guy was on stage playing, and they're like, "Let's get him for the film." And you can tell that that's. I mean, yes, yes, that is how that decision was made. <laughs> it was not a good one. <laughs> you didn't think hard enough about it. <laughs> Um, I think uh, a lot of it was. Um, uh, is, is it that a lot of it was filmed in Prague before it had been kind of repaired? So a lot of the kind of uh, going through rubble into underground chase sequences and stuff was filmed. It's like you couldn't film that now because it's all been fixed. Um, oh, but really? it's remarkable. Yeah, it's remarkable for that stuff. And also, you know, the oh, they look like ants from here. Speech. Yeah, it does. Which, and uh, it's an amazing it's looking great. film as well. Christ, it's, it's one of the most beautiful yeah. films. Sure. It's, it's a, uh, I've, yeah, because uh, uh, as far as I've learned, like a lot of the lighting um, for film noir in that era was because they literally couldn't afford that many lights. So oh, wow. what you'd have is like two very bright lights, and hence this kind of a very intense light and dark uh, use of intense shadows because like they couldn't light everything from as many angles because it would cost too much mm. and involve a lot of wiring. Um, so that's a, an example of you know working around limitation is actually creating a style visual style of itself of its own. Orson Welles does spend about a third of the film running through a sewer, though. That, I mean, is, yeah, is that the does. first sewer level which outstays its welcome in, in Western fiction? <laughs> I think they were so pleased with uh, the sort of the, um, the bending of the silhouettes on those curved walls <laughs> as they run around that they, they, they sort of they must have fallen in love with that shot so much that it goes on for a bit. It's a bit much, isn't it? Um, Great film, though. yeah, fantastic uh, for all of that. Um, <laughs> and uh, before we move on to questions, uh, there's this some hot news, hot off the press. Oh God, mm-hmm. I want to bring it to both of you. Uh, this is courtesy of Eurogamer, and I've had to sort of uh, have a refresh to check and a reread to check that it, it isn't a joke. Um, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to post the link to the story in the chat here. Um, the headline. Oh. <laughs> I did see this earlier on, though. I totally forgot about it. Uh, Assassin's Creed, Mr. Men and Little Miss Books Revealed. Um, And the one thing I'd like to do, if we could just for a minute, is uh, if we go to the image two-thirds down, uh, there's a picture of Mr. Ezio. And uh, I'd like to solicit your reactions to it. I know that it's it's an audio medium, but I'll describe it briefly. It's something you could not make him... (laughs) 
<laughs> you could not make him in Epic's face maker tool. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because he, he's about 40%, 40% nose. Um, he, he's wearing a belt and boots and no trousers. No, yeah, uh, yeah. The, the, the hidden blade is not ev- evident, so it is hidden, I suppose. Well, he's got he's got the kind of you know arm he's got band, a strap on which his is, is going to yeah. be that's going to be in there. It would be but facing. He's, he's only got four fingers on each it. hand. Both of his hands have only got four fingers. That's true. He could he could have two hidden blades. Um, also, he looks like the sort of person that you see streaking across a football field <laughs> with his bum out. Yeah, <laughs> anorak over uh, their heads, yeah. dick flapping in Just, the wind. That's right. <laughs> Um, it's hard to imagine him air assassinating an ocelot um, <laughs> in that state of garb. But um, yeah, so I, I, the first thing I saw, I, the first thing I thought when I saw that cover is that I felt this this pathetic need to just apologise to Roger Hargreaves. Just, I just <laughs> it's like, I'm so sorry. He's probably, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Is he okay, Roger Hargreaves? He must have died. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to apologise to him. So for his sake. Yeah, it says that it's by Adam Hargreaves, so a member of the family of some kind, some kind. Oh yeah, he's long dead. Have you seen oh. on the on to the side? There's a uh, a, a Mr. Leonardo. Oh yes, there's a Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. One out of Valhalla and a Mr. One out of the Greek one. Odyssey. Alexandra, is it Alexandra? Yeah. It's hard to tell, isn't it? Anyway, yeah, um, everyone should look at this and be cursed. <laughs> Although, I mean, are, they, are they going to canonically uh, determine the genders of, uh, mm. the, of the Viking and Greek one? To me, the, the Viking looks like uh, female Eivor, but apparently they're called the Little Miss series. Yeah. And so I was playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla the other day, um, and I was fighting a man in full plate armour, waving his standard around and I counted him and I took his standard off him and then I rammed it through his chest plate so hard that he uh, he was stuck leaning backwards dying and slowly sliding down it his blood spurted out of his chest <laughs> um, and now there's a little Miss Abel book <laughs> coming out <laughs> children I mean you, you do remember that's nothing compared to what happens in Mr. Angry <laughs> <laughs> um is this a thing? Is this what? Is this what? It just... can't be r- real, right? I mean, as in, is this is this like what what the Mister Man books sort of do to kind of extend their you know oh, extend themselves into the future, or is it it's uh, Ubisoft and its classic you know its constant sense of finding new media to work in? Ah, oh, we're doing blockchain. Ah, oh, we're doing <laughs> game streaming. Ah, oh, we're doing Mister Men books. Like it's all must. Is it that each sold as an NFT? Oh God! Oh God! You oh, just God. you just scraped the very bottom of the modern <laughs> barrel. Oh, it's so plausible, though. Oh, it's so plausible <laughs> they do that. Adam, oh, I had a horrible idea for NFT, which I'll tell you guys about in the break. <laughs> just in case, <laughs> by saying it publicly, it becomes true. Yeah. Should we do questions and questions? Let's do it. We have a question from. Tom, and he says, Dear algorithmically generated crowbar, in your last episode, you talked about how a Witcher 3 mod poured all of Geralt's existing dialogue into an AI in order to create new dialogue. My question is, 
If every member of the Crate and Crowbar had all their hot takes from each podcast poured into an AI, which AI-generated member of the pod do you think would be the most likely to pass a CNC Turing test, aka going through the an entire pod without any of the human podders noticing? Thanks for the tasty <laughs> pods, Tom. It's hard because I think we've all become sort of pale shells of anything that we could have we started out with. Yeah. Doomed ever to uh, think, to repeat the same patterns of crap. I think after the last um, year, was, even a, a pretty bog standard AI would probably do a better impression of a human being than I currently do. So it's, <laughs> I, I was concerned for a moment when Alex was describing Mister Doe uh, that like that did seem to be like a random series of statements that an AI might string together. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't a game. What the hell? <laughs> What's happening? He's my friend. <laughs> Well, here's the thing, right? I think uh, it, it's not so much about the necessarily the content uh, of what people say, but you want a, you want uh, a, a podder with the, the most kind of dynamic range of honking, uh, so that you can better assemble a variety of different sounds, right? Or would it be the other way around? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't a, wouldn't an AI based on someone with a kind of a low dynamic range of, of topics or a very identifiable pattern of topics, wouldn't that be the the one that... Oh, uh, I see. That was, yeah, you, you're right. Yeah, I was thinking that you would want to uh, use the AI to say things that you'd you, you'd want them to say. But actually, if it, the purpose is just to pass the... It's the Turing test. It's the, it's the yeah. So you want the, the, the podcaster with the most boring voice, basically, who says the fewest <laughs> interesting things. <laughs> but it's not about interest it's like um who always talks about the same old crap <laughs> and it's me talking about old games because i'm the old man of our that's not true Alex. Comedy you're often very boring troop. about destiny as well <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding well you'd you right right you oh, here it comes. you the hunt criticism <laughs> Your AI, you just go on about Hunt and then be miserable about all the other games. <laughs> yeah. It's a fair cop. If game equals Hunt, one. <laughs> if game not Hunt, two. That's how binary works. Look. <laughs> Tom, the Tom... The, 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 uh, the Tom Francis AI, uh, that would talk about card games. You talk roguelikes, mm. of which there are so many of them now that you'd be totally credible that for an AI just to come up with random collection of words and for that to be a credible uh, card-based roguelike. Could an, AI, uh, could an AI string together a Tom Francis anecdote about how he breaks game, though? <laughs> with, the, with the AI break itself? <laughs> train, him, train it on um, PC Gamer diary entries. Yeah, yeah good job. In fact, the more you've written online, the more mm. easily. So, Tom Senior, I think you mm. probably have the most articles to your name of all of us. I've maybe put together literally thousands of news posts. Um, I'm afraid you are the most AI person. I'm the most AI. <laughs> Just feed me into the machine, <laughs> spit me out into the side. Um, There's no no need for your meat anymore. <laughs> That's right. Um, I think I think we'd be in with a good chat recreating your nose as well and metahuman. Mm. I think I think you're you're handsome enough to pass uh, pass Damn. the meta human test. You know what? That's the nicest thing anyone said to me for a year. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Tom, you're yeah. almost symmetrical enough that a fake version of you could be produced. 
that's all I desire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, well, none of us is that close to the golden ratio. No. Um, but uh, yeah, you're right. I think the sheer amount of uh, word data I've put on the internet, that, you know, an AI could hoover up. For but then again, you've you've written you've you've written you know you've written kind of news stories which could be about anything yeah. your gate your taste in games is very eclectic as well so there's going to be this going to be difficult for it to find patterns mm. and then mm. so so there's chris as well i think that if the robot just started talking about a star wars game and specifically on his story i would be totally oh this is obviously chris he's <laughs> sort of just if a wikipedia entry but uh, was being spoken in the voice of Chris. Do you think that, that would perhaps pass? Not for a full pod, though. Like. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. Yeah, that's, that's Rich McCormick as well. That's yeah, not- I mean, it's, yeah, that's just the Star Wars word salad, isn't it? That, uh, doing most <laughs> of the heavy lifting there. I saw, I saw a good, uh, good tweet the other day um, by somebody called Gom Jabbar, who says, every time a new Star Wars movie or show is announced, all the fans are like, OMG, Glup Shitto is back. Cry face, cry face, cry face. <laughs> and, and even better, I saw this because um, uh, Jim Unwin, who's a very nice man uh, uh, and an artist who previously worked at Media Molecule, amongst other things, has actually drawn Glup Shitto. And it is, it is a spectacular, spectacular character design. I really want to know what Glup Shitto's backstory is. I'm so <laughs> invested want, in Glup Shitto. I want the Mr. Glup Shitto book that is straight <laughs> In that style, <laughs> I think the one so member good. of us I think that it, the AI wouldn't be able to do would be Pip because AI mm. just isn't very good at invention, and you never know what Pip's going to say. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's very true. The, the rest of us are totally replaceable. <laughs> you know, it was Miss Pip on the pod. I think uh, Pip and Chris did a nice, funny Valheim special, didn't they? Mm. A few weeks back. Yeah. Yeah. Lovely. Nice chat about a lovely game. Yeah, it's not a lovely game. It's not a lovely game at all. No, it's not. At the moment, uh, my my one ship and all of my good stuff uh, got broken up by a stupid skeleton. And I'm really, really angry about it. And I haven't got back to it since. <laughs> so on the other side of the world, I went on a voyage. Uh, I kind of... I, 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 stopped I, I was traveling for so far and the, the wind was against me and I just sort of was pushing forward or whatever it is and sort of was looking out the window or something and looked back to see that I would just was steering towards a small island on which uh, it was in the oh, the swamp um, biome hmm. there was uh, some those dreadful uh, slimes and skeletons and uh, uh, and the Draugr, and they were shooting arrows at me, destroyed my ship, uh, lost all my ship, um, spawned back at my base on the other side of the world. Um, I constructed, an, with the remainder of my stuff, uh, another ship, um, took the rest of you know my stuff up with me, you know, supplies to sort it out. And um, I took down a portal nearby, uh, because I was going to re-establish a base, I thought it's going to be easy to get my stuff. It's right. I could just jump out of the ship, straight back on the ship, no problem. I lost it all again. Everything is lost, and I <laughs> rage quit. And oh, um, no. and I've been back since. Well, why did you go to the bad place? Because that was the next place I've got to go. I had to go to the bad place. Mm. Mm. 
I should have just made a nice house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what the game's about, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> Why didn't I just make a nice house? And that, um, I, it's a metaphor for capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> where, where do slimes come from? I mean, I don't mean that in a, like a, a mummy slime meets a daddy slime kind of thing. But I mean, like, where, like I mean, they appear to be now ubiquitous. Oh, it's D and D. Is it from D? Is it from D and D originally? But where, where yeah. surely they. Do they go further gelatinous back than that? Mm, don't know. Because, I mean, the, the, the D&D incarnation is the gelatinous cube. But it's, it's Dragon Quest that, that really um, solidified oh, yeah, them as, as the little teardrop-shaped blobs, right? Yeah. And she, she slimes. But do they have, like, a like a mythic heritage in the same way that, you know... Well, you're the one who knows about Arthurian myth. Yeah, but Are they, there any in there? I don't think so. <laughs> like elves, and, and, elves the green and dwarves slime. and shit, you know. I mean, they 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 go back a bit, but the slime just appears to you know suddenly appear in in video games. I mean, they are shit though. Yeah, you know, you're like, <laughs> what if there was a monster and it is all sticky and it's you can see through it? I mean, mm. what? No, there's um the Dark Souls ones are horrible because they drop on you from the ceiling and it's sort of suck on you for a bit before melting at your mm. feet and it's horrible mm. uh my main association with slimes is actually uh in uh, you know using school computers to play those um really crappy online flash games uh like slime tennis because uh, the slime is the easiest 2d thing you can draw that isn't a square <laughs> uh and uh so you, slime tennis is about you know jumping around as little slimes in 2d bouncing a ball over a net that's it oh, yeah, it's that. adorable Adorable. Well, slimes. take that AI. I bet you didn't think that a discussion about AI would end up talking about slimes or tennis and the history they're, they're, of them. They are rubbish, though. Whenever I say, "Oh, it's a slime," I've been playing like loads of Persona Five, and um, <laughs> these the shadows you bump into them and they turn into a mob. And if it's a mob of five slimes, I'm just like, "Oh, fuck's sake!" <laughs> could you not design something else? Mm. <laughs> There's so many inventive designs in that game for monsters. It's like, yeah. Slimes need to die. I suppose the divisibleness of slimes is their like their USP, oh, right? Yeah. I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But that's it's kind of an annoying well. one though. Yeah. It's really annoying. I do You pro- never I... think, oh good, time to fight a slime. I prefer them to um scuttling enemies. Like the small scuttling enemies that run towards you mm. in uh, very fast. They're my, mm. my least favourite enemy to fight. The ones that you end up shooting mm. around your feet to defeat. Oh yeah, yeah, those are rubbish. Hmm. Uh, do we answer that question? What's the question? Yeah, no, yes. we definitely more or less yeah, got we there. We got, got there. there. Jan writes, Dear Creighton Crowbar, I just heard this question on another podcast, the Empire Film Podcast, if you want to know, and I immediately thought of you guys. The question was centred around movie characters, so there's no risk of repetition. So, without further ado, what video game character needs a hug the most? Cheers, Jan. Hmm... Well, yeah, as as um as I was talking about in uh, last the last pod, I think that um the character in uh, your character in um in Disco Elysium needs a hug, but I would like to give a hug to um brains gone completely blank. Kim, my sidekick, Kim. Yeah. Oh, Kim Kitsuragi. Yeah. yeah, he's a lovely man. He's the best. I thought they nailed the voice acting on him in the yeah. Uh, update. Yeah, absolutely Just... glorious just the right level of uh, uh, patience, st- strained patience in his voice. Uh, <laughs> it's really good. Yeah, Kim deserves it more. I'd agree with that. Who'd give a good hug? I reckon the bloody Baron would give a good hug. 
Oh yeah, it might like be a, a bit whiffy, hug, yeah. but and you know, yeah, a stench of booze. Oh yeah, there'd be uh, little bits of food horrible. in his beard. You'd have bits of yeah, there'd definitely be bits of food. But in his it would beard. be a it would be a warm, nurturing embrace. It would be like warm, but also like inhaling a roast dinner at the same time. Isn't he a bit <laughs> psychotic? He might <laughs> hug you and then kind of. Well, he's called the bloody know, baron, Alex. Make you dance and then kill you. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's just his rough northern charm, isn't it? That's what they're all like. <laughs> Any, any... What about slimes? Would you hug a slime? <laughs> hug a slime, yeah. Hug... You wouldn't hug, hug a slime. slime. <laughs> <laughs> In that, you wouldn't download a car font. Uh... <laughs> the government getting worried. Don't encourage those slimes. Hugging slimes slime. funds terrorism. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, was, I, was, I was trying to think of villains that need hugs already, but like uh, they're so arrogant that you know you, you'd be debasing yourself by hugging them. Like, would you hug Sephiroth? No, he's, he's, oh, he's so full of himself. Exactly. It's like, but maybe that's yeah. it. Maybe he needs the hug more than most because uh, you know it's all filling in for his sort of the void within. You know, he just needs to know he doesn't need to do all this playing around. He <laughs> is like an ifrit. I'd hug an ifrit. Yes, but ifrit. <laughs> hug an ifrit. Uh, as, as, it'll be your final act. But I'm a... What about Dutch van der Lind? Could you, could you hug the bad out of him? Could you turn him around, put him back on the, on the right tracks? Nah. Yeah, I think he's... Yeah. <laughs> I was just trying to go through the cast and think, oh, who else is there? Well, who's, the, who's that... The sort of like the 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 kind of idiot kind of violent one in the group that group that you hate from the start you have to bust him out of prison. Oh yeah, start. yeah, the guy with the handlebar moustache. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he might need a hug. Mm. <laughs> I'm going with the goose out of uh, Untitled Goose Game. Mm. Pack your eyes out, Mister Ezio. <laughs> Mister Ezio needs a hug and some trousers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You don't want to get caught in his hidden blade, do you? First uh, the trousers, <laughs> then the hug. <laughs> Not the other way around. Thank you, <laughs> Monsieur Ezio. Monsignor Ezio. Is that it? Italian? Yeah, you've nailed it. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Those are all the, um, the questions that we had time for this week. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Please send us more questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can send us more questions at questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You could tweet us at Crate and Crowbar. Uh, you can watch this as a video on YouTube where you can find other videos by us. The address for that is youtube.com Crate and Crowbar. Sorry, slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, thanks to our Patreon backers. You can back us too at patreon.com slash Crate and Crowbar, or you can simply join our lovely Discord community, the link for which is on our website, creightoncrowbar.com. That's it. I've stolen the outro from Tom. <laughs> you have. I don't mind that. It's all I'm good. Sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've been Tom Senior. I was wrong earlier about uh, saying that the third one was filmed in Prague. It was Vienna. Of course. So I thought I'd, uh, before we got the emails about that, nipping that in the bud. Uh, yep, uh, I've been high on tango for this entire. <laughs> <laughs> if you said sick a certain energy, that that's where it's coming from. That certain tango energy. <laughs> Definitely not an AI. 
couldn't be couldn't be reproduced <laughs> with an AI. <laughs> I've been Marsh Davis. I've been Alex Wiltshire. Bye. Thanks, Thanks for listening, everybody. everybody.